Welcome to the FreightWaves Net Zero Carbon Summit. I'm Craig Fuller, the founder and CEO of FreightWaves. Today, we're going to talk a lot about what the future of transportation looks like as we transition to a carbon neutral world. Transportation companies and folks that manage supply chains are actively planning the future of thinking what a post-carbon world looks like. It's an exciting time. It's also one that's going to create tremendous pressure on companies as they try to manage and balance customer expectations and delivery cycles with moving to a net carbon society. It's an exciting time, and we're really excited to be able to provide this information and content for you here today at FreightWaves. With me today is Danny Gomez. Danny is our Managing Director of Financial and Emerging Markets. Danny and I have known each other for a couple of years, uh, working together on launching the freight futures market when he was at Nodal, which is a large financial exchange owned by Deutsche Börse's EEX exchange. Nodal also happens to be one of the world's largest marketplaces for carbon certificates. And Danny, in his relationship and managing Nodal, uh, oversaw the launch of that product and the scaling of that product. So with me today, I'm excited to have Danny, someone who knows the carbon market, who also has been around the trucking industry for the last couple of years working with us on Freight Futures. Danny, welcome to Freight Waves. First day on the job. We're excited to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Danny, lots of stuff is happening around carbon. It's, it's becoming a really important topic for companies. Uh, they're setting ESG goals and making uh, a lot of public statements about their goals to be net carbon neutral within 10, 15, 20, sometimes 30 years. What is it that you're typically seeing companies uh, focus on first in terms of their initiatives? Um, you know, Craig, I think what you're seeing right now is, um, you know, there's there's been a lot of work that's been done over the last probably 10 to 20 years in trying to, you know, organize really all the industries around different protocols and standards and methodologies for measuring, um, setting metrics and goals around what their ESG standards or um, or what their what their targets will be over time. And I think what we're seeing now is that because of just recent events, um, whether it's you know wildfires in California or just more attention around um, around our, our carbon footprint um, as individuals and as companies as countries, um, we're trying. You know what we're seeing is that a lot of companies are setting standards and adopting some of these frameworks. And um, you know one of the things I think that's really interesting about freight waves is that. You know, with you know your DNA of providing or our DNA of providing um, transportation and information and data analytics um, to the transportation industry really, you know, perfectly situates the company to be starting this conversation or at least to to broaden the awareness of what are the emissions from the transportation industry. I mean, if we look at it in the U.S., EPA says that um, greenhouse gas emissions from the transportation industry is the largest sector, it's you know 29% in the U.S. 97% of that comes from CO2, um, and medium and heavy duty trucks are around 23% of of that um, of that sector. And so it's really important for the transportation industry to understand, you know, what their impact is, um, you know, domestically and globally um, as we start to move, as you said, um, to a net zero. Um, world from a carbon emissions perspective, you know, those 
um, are very popular buzzwords um, these days. And, um, you know, I think what we can do as a team here is to start to provide some understanding about what that really means, what what for for these transportation for these companies that are utilizing transportation services or providing services, um, what are their current carbon emissions and start to really just, I think, um, take a take a step into uh, making this this understanding, making the metrics a little bit more ubiquitous in the space so that we can start to, um, I think, collectively look at how we can solve this, right? Like, like I said, there's people who have been doing this work for some time. And so when you think about how do you mitigate some of your emissions, there's technologies that you can put in place. There's um, different fuel, um, fuel types that you can use. Um, you can change some operations. There's the ability to go to the market, um, like a you know a physical market or or an exchange to purchase carbon credits to to offset some of the um, some of the activity that you're doing or investing in projects that are um, trying to offset some of the carbon emissions from industries like um, transportation. And so, you know, I think there is in the globally in our in our industry um, there is just a lot of um, figuring out that's going on right now, right? And so. Um, you know, I think what we're looking to do here in Sonar um, with providing carbon intelligence, um, I think that is really just the first step in starting to get people comfortable um, and understanding what emissions are um, for the different types of transportation that they're using. So when we talk about ESG, it stands for Environmental Social Governance, and it's all about how companies have a bigger responsibility uh, than just making profit. If you sort of look at the last couple of decades, it was all profit-centric, and that's ultimately a company's a primary goal, but there's a broader set of expectations that companies have in order to be good corporate citizens. Environmental is the first one, and obviously that means carbon. If you're in transportation, it means carbon. But it's interesting because customer demand, whether it's e-commerce or getting uh, products delivered to someone's house faster, or just more robust supply chains in terms of the throughput and the speed at which those products are delivered, it sort of goes counter to that because you have an environmental cost as you ship more often, more frequent, and uh, fewer items uh, based on customer delivery expectations, but you actually end up putting more carbon out to do that. And so there's this push and pull. One of the things that's really interesting is um, there are ways that companies can actually reduce their footprint and still not sacrifice customer expectations. You touched on one, which is carbon certificate trading. What is this concept of trading certificates? Um, so, like you said, there's there's the things that you can do. So, when we, let's take an example of converting a, uh, a fleet to, to EV, right? That's not something you can do overnight. And, you know, in general, net zero, um, whether it's in the transportation space or in the energy space, um, and the energy space is a great place to look to as an industry to learn from because they've done a lot in terms of trying to make their um, their generation more renewable. Um, there's there's things that you can do that will take time, right? In terms of um, investments in new technologies or new operations, um, while you are um, looking to 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 make that switch, um, you know there are things that you can do up front. And some of those things, as I said, are are one of them is purchasing carbon credits, right? And so you have 
Um, right now, there's no U.S. Um, carbon market or no global carbon price, but these are things that you're hearing about um, being talked pretty frequently, and that's you know trying to let a uh, carbon price be a dictator um, and to push industries to be uh, more carbon neutral. Um, but here in the U.S., there's some voluntary programs, and there's some there is some globally recognized initiatives that people can turn to to try to offset what their carbon footprint is. And so take, for example, um, a passenger who's looking to buy an airline ticket um, may, for some in airline companies, have the ability to purchase some sort of carbon credit along with their ticket that will offset um, offset their the, the carbon emissions from them using that, um, taking that flight. And so you can extend that concept into um, well into the industry at large, right? And so if you have um, a fleet that is um, emitting a, a certain amount of carbon emissions and you want to reduce that, you can do that one by technology or operation improvements, or you can look to offset that by investing in projects that are looking to offset the um, greenhouse gas emissions from other industries. And so those may be forestation, you know, going in and planting trees, or it could be the case that there is um, you know, some of these voluntary markets where some companies are what, what they call minting um, credits and those credits may be available for purchase. And so the activities that they do, um, whether it's, you know, um, having more um, uh, more um, environmentally friendly refining processes um, or if they are, um, you know, I think a popular one in transportation is charging stations. They can produce carbon credits that then can be used in the marketplace for other firms that are looking to offset their own um, carbon footprint. So if companies, and these are professionals or, or could be farmers or somebody who decides to plant trees, uh, assuming that that field is audited and there are firms that go out and provide audits of what they've actually uh, have planted and what they're growing, that enables them to make money by selling those certificates to or credits to companies that are part carbon uh, emitters or, or polluters is probably the more negative term. And it's it's interesting because what it does is it lets the market set the price for carbon and, and effectively gives the ability of someone who emits emissions uh, the ability to operate their business. But someone on the other side of the transaction is planting trees or looking at other initiatives that uh, mitigate carbon. Is that effectively the best way to think of it, Danny? Yeah, you know, I think solar is a really good example because it's um, becoming very common. Um, you know, if you look at some of what they call renew renewable portfolio standards that some of the states or utilities are putting in place, they're basically saying, look, by a certain date, say 2045, I'm going to be 100% renewable. And you can't do that on your own and what, um, whether it's governmental tax subsidies or state um, um, regulations and programs have enabled companies to do is to go out and empower really um, the development and investment in solar resources. And so there's potentially, you know, we talk about Karen Stick a lot um, in this conversation. There is um, a lot to be said about having um, good carrots in place where it's, you know, tax subsidies for the upfront investment. And then also the ability to monetize those assets, not only from the energy they're producing, but potentially in some, you know, in some of these states, the solar renewable energy credits that they're also producing. And so they can 
um, you know, as every day that that solar panel is on and producing power, it's it's producing power um, that has a value, but it's also producing a solar rec. And so if your utility that has um, re renewable portfolio standards that you need to meet, you can do some of that on your own by developing your own solar um, or renewable projects. Um, but you can also go out and purchase those renewable credits from firms that, um, that are independently operating and owned these solar, um, these solar farms, the solar panels. And so I, you know, attention in transportation, it's interesting to think that, you know, could we create a world where, or an industry where um, we incentivize the, the, the owners of the fleets and the operators to, to make these investments potentially through tax credits? And could they then, you know, for the life of that asset, um, start to produce some offsets that they could then monetize now, that's a far away from where we are today, but it's, you know, if we start to look at what we can learn from other industries, you know, it'll be interesting to see what what, what we in a, um, as a company and as an industry can do to to help um, to help move things along in our space. Because I think globally it's just been recognized and it's, you know, and a lot of the articles and stats talk about transportation as kind of being the next big place for us to make some pretty significant gains in terms of reducing emissions. So, Danny, I put solar panels outside my house. That's not something that could generate credits. It has to be a large industrial or commercial product. Is that right? Or can homes actually produce credits? Yeah. I mean, I was talking to um, somebody the other day who, um, based on New Jersey, said that every quarter they get the um, $700 check for the solar wrecks that they produce. And so um, it, it, there needs to be a process um, for, you know, getting your... Um, your installation registered. Um, and, it, you know, when I think about the transportation industry and what, you know, I've learned with working through Freightways is that, it's, you know, it, it's pretty fragmented, right? There's a lot of players in the space. And so, um, you know, I think what's interesting, it, there, there's a lot of similarities, again, learning from the energy space where you have a lot of different asset owners who are producing solar wrecks and you need to, you need to have a central marketplace for those things to take place. You need to aggregate those you have many producers and um, few corporate buyers. And so there is a lot of lessons to be learned from um, from industries that are, you know, have have done um, made large gains in terms of um, respectively, in terms of creating more um, reducing their 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 carbon footprint or or their emissions or, um, you know, I think we, we can just look at to those as places to to start to see what the path forward is for transportation. Now, Danny, you joined us. You worked at a very successful exchange that's now owned by one of the world's largest exchanges globally. But you left this job. You were a part of the startup team. You joined another startup, but but not on the first day we were born, but a couple of years into it. Why did you leave a cush job where you got to, <laughs> to help run this large North American exchange uh, with the management team there? Why did you come join FreightWaves? Um Look, what you guys have been doing has been really exciting. We've been watching it. I've been watching it from um, from day one, from before Sonar um, was even launched. And you guys have done a really good job and have shown how quickly you can move and adapt to what the industry needs. I think um, ESG is a is very similar, or you know, net zero, where it's fast moving. You need to be able to react fast and to respond to a pretty fluid um, market that's really trying to find level, right? And so that's exciting. And then you know. Culturally, personally, um, you know, ESG initi initiative just line up with my with my values as a, as a person. And so the interesting thing about being um, with Freight Waves is that it's 
you know, at the exchange level, you have some pretty mature companies that are coming to you to manage their exposure, whether it's to, to energy or to environmental um, risks that they're that they're facing in their business. Um, FreightWaves is really well positioned to help those companies, but also to help to bring more people into the boat. And I think that's really exciting, right? When we can start to um, help form the language around what does net zero mean and start, you know, really start to demystify that term in general, um, I think is pretty exciting. I, you know, I feel like Sonar and Freight Waves and what you guys have done in terms of being a trusted source of information and data will help bring that message to market. Danny, you've worked around the natural gas, even around coal. You've, I mean, hydrocarbons, you're, you're a Texan, uh, uh, Texas A&M, unfortunately A&M uh, graduate, uh, which I won't get into. Uh, but but you've been around the petrochemical and hydro, uh, uh, the, 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 the petroleum byproduct uh, industry. And you're someone who believes that, uh, in hydrocarbons, that they're a very efficient way to deliver energy. But there's also this sort of negative byproduct, which is it, it does emit carbon emissions. When you're when you're sort of transitioning from a world where uh, you're in and around the hydrocarbon market and you're moving into this environmental market, there's a commonly a perception that you must be a quote unquote tree hugger or uh, a diehard liberal who's trying to change the world. And you want to eliminate gasoline and you want to eliminate diesel. But that's not the reality. The reality is quite different. Can you tell us a little bit about how uh, people in this industry, which typically look at environmental rules as, as sort of a negative connotation, how should they think about uh, sort of this conversion to a net uh, zero world? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, there's a path, right? Um, and people are setting some pretty aggressive standards um, for themselves in terms of trying to be net zero by, you know, 2035, 2040. Um, but that by setting goals out, there's a recognition there that we're these things are not happening overnight. Um, and, you know, when I think about it, Craig, there's, um, you know, there's this sense that, you know, everything's going to change overnight and we're no longer going to be looking to rely on um, hydrocarbons or, you know, that's just not the case, right? I think the companies that are thriving in this space that are thought leaders are already doing a lot of work to try to understand how we continue to evolve and how we continue to be good stewards of the earth um, and really think about how we're positioning um, the generation that comes after us to have, um, you know, it's a successful um, uh, lifetime here and what, what we can do to set that up. Um, I feel like there's a lot of um, people who will be pulled along this journey and there will be some people who will lead it. I think freight waves can be part of that leading path um, and really start to, again, form um, and help educate the market and really, again, start to, again, like these, um, I don't know if you want to call them, um, just the people's, um, what they assume based off of the headlines that they read, that we can start to help dig in a little deeper than that and provide clarity to what to what's happening here and how they can really position their companies to respond to what the changing environment requirements are going to be. Because some of this stuff will feel like top down, right? Whether it's coming from large uh, shipping companies um, or 
potentially even regulation. And so I think we need to be prepared for that. And so it's not um, it's not that we are trying to 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 force this upon anybody, um, but it is a reality that is happening and, and firms need to be prepared for what that means for their business. Yeah, whether they like it or not, companies are going to have to deal with it. it. It may be regulatory pressure, which is always the least typically the least welcome by industry. They don't want the regulators in there. And then there's the social pressure or market pressure of companies and consumers saying, I, I'm, I'm looking for something that's more carbon efficient. I'm looking to buy from companies that are making those investments to make uh, the world a better place. And even if you don't, you know, this whole idea of climate change, which I won't get into this, this the science behind it, um, you know, at the end of the day, we all want cleaner air. We all want, uh, I lived in China for a bit. And I can tell you the air was so dirty there that you could hardly breathe. And that's what it looks like when you have a, a market that just doesn't have any regulation. Uh, you just get sort of a free-for-all and it's it almost becomes stifling. Um, but there is an element where the industry can sort of take the lead on this. And I think if the industry does take the lead, uh, it means that less regulatory pressure uh, will come in. I think I, at times... The regulators themselves overcorrect. You know, they sit there and develop a model of the world, what they want to achieve, and they put really strict regulations that may not be the most conducive for business. Whereas if the industry takes the lead, and I think this is where we can play a responsibility of educating and providing transparency, if the industry takes the lead, then it puts less pressure on the government coming in and enforcing that. Yeah, I agree with you. So, Danny, when we think about the new carbon intelligence product, which we're, we're going to show later today, um, the, the level of transparency that we're bringing to supply chains uh, around their scope three emissions is a pretty, you know, it's a pretty important piece, but it's also somewhat of a black box is that oftentimes companies don't know how carbon efficient their supply chains are or frankly inefficient they are. Yeah. So um, you say black box um, because, like you said, they, they personally may not have a good understanding of what um, of what's what they're assets are um, contributing in, in terms of their carbon footprint. Um, but as I mentioned earlier, there's been a lot of good work done in the space around trying to create frameworks and methodologies. And so I think one of the things that we can do as a company is really start to bring those things um, or continue to bring those things to the surface or the ones, you know, highlight the ones that are, are being, um, you know, that are leaders in the space and that have high adoption um, and use those methodologies to apply to um, this, you know, this black box of information at the company level to give them insights into what um, what the global community sees their carbon emissions on, based off of a collective agreement on how we should be calculating um, the emissions for the various modes of transportation. And so, you know, I think um, in carbon intelligence. Having this data there is is really step one um, in understanding, um, and then over time we'll continue to develop more ways for firms to to reduce their emissions. Um, and so I think that's you know really exciting. Like you said, why you know why come to freight waves? Um, there's a lot of excitement around that. You know this really is the first step, and um, I think a journey for for us as a company and for the industry as a whole to continue to to push. And um, I think. At the end of the day, we can um, we can adapt and be be leaders in this space, right? Um, I think there is. I mean, you can tell tell me um, or say better than I can. You know what the the view is and kind of the 
you know, I think everyone looks at transportation that it's slow to adopt and slow to uh, transform. You know, what I've seen recently through freight waves is that they're willing to, it's just finding the right tools and mechanisms in place to, to, to really enable firms to meet the challenges that they're facing. There is a whole new generation of transportation leaders. There's the emergence of freight tech and venture capital putting billions of dollars to work, but there's also the incumbents, whether they're large or small, that are also making investments. Uh, Family-owned companies are now passed on to the second or third generation, which looks at the world quite different than their fathers or grandfathers. Uh, you know, I am a product of a multi-generational trucking family, so I certainly know how that looks firsthand. And then you've got, you know, large corporate enterprises that are that are evolving their technology and testing everything from drone technology for delivery to, as you mentioned, electric uh, vehicles, which are not charged by, are, are generated, uh, are powered by hydrocarbons, they're powered by batteries or hydrogen fuel. Um, but you also have, you know, different uh, technologies around optimization and how freight can be routed more efficiently in terms of cost and carbon emissions. And often it's interesting because uh, there is a, a correlation between cost on a per mile basis uh, in terms of more efficiency. So the more efficient something is in terms of uh, being able to route it, it's often more carbon efficient as well. So these things are actually highly correlated. And there's a lot of net benefit to companies regardless of whether they're making those investments just for carbon. They also get the benefit in terms of profit because of the uh, margin uh, appreciation they get. And so those are things that are really exciting. It is an exciting time in transportation. And I think over the next decade, it's going to be what's happening in mobility. And this is really about not just products moving through supply chains, but people and how they move through society is going to be one of the most transformative decades of our entire lives or an entire uh, humanity as we're no longer confined to physical spaces and we're able to sort of see what the world looks like when you open up the skies and you open up the ground and uh, you have electric vehicles and drones and all this technology coming together. It's going to be a really exciting time. We're certainly happy to be part of the conversation. Yeah, agreed. Well, Danny, thanks for uh, coming in. Folks uh, will uh, certainly hear from you and, and speak to you in the future as we dive into uh, this whole concept of carbon intelligence, which is really knowing your carbon footprint, being able to benchmark it, analyze it, monitor it, and forecast it. It's all about having information available to you so that you can make the right decisions on how to mitigate your carbon footprint and also make your business more efficient and responsive to customer demands. It's an exciting time. We're going to tease or show and demo our carbon intelligence product, the first generation of it, uh, later today. But throughout the day, if you could stay tuned to the Net Zero Carbon Summit here at FreightWaves, we're going to dive into a lot of the different topics that, are, that folks are concerned about and thinking about throughout supply chains and throughout transportation as it relates to moving to a net zero carbon world. And remember, moving to a net zero carbon world doesn't mean that customer demands or delivery cycles or expectations will be sacrificed. Through technology and innovation, we will see a world that enables us to move to a net zero carbon world that will be more economical financially and more environmental friendly without sacrificing customer expectations. And all of that is going to be discussed today at the Net Zero Carbon Summit. Stay tuned.